Hello, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome. If you're a guest, a special welcome. Really glad that you've joined us, whether you're joining us online or at one of our campuses. Uh, glad you're here. It's a good time to be here. Um, hey, and a special hello. We always say hello to our friends at the Bel Air campus, but special hello this week to the Edgewood campus because this week we celebrated our one-year anniversary. Can you believe it already? Had a big party. They blew out their one candle. Uh, had a great time. It's amazing what God's done already in a year. So thanks for making that possible. It's And uh, many more campuses we hope to come. Just uh, in God's timing, it'll open up those doors. So uh, if you follow my blog or social media or whatever, you might be aware, I was able to spend some time this last week in Africa representing Mountain uh, as part of a kind of a strategic planning team uh, for this uh, mission that means so much to us that so many of us have partnered deeply with and Mountain is a big partner of called Missions of Hope International. This incredible ministry that is is going into and penetrating the darkest slums in the world maybe, those slums of Nairobi, and and going for children and pulling them into places of light and goodness and hope with this holistic, well-thought-out, strategic ministry Puts them in school, gets them education, health care, and then reaches the family and microfinance loans for the parents. I'm going to tell you what, friends, it is, it's working. It's making a difference, and it's transforming families. I mean, when you see these kids, you look at their faces, and you see instead of walking around in some urine-infested street, they're with their clothes on, and they're, they're reciting scripture, and they're smiling at you, and they want to change the world and be doctors and lawyers and pastors and pilots and it's an amazing thing. So I just want to, you know, they love, love, love Mountain. They just think we're the best because we part, we were like partnered with them early on. And in the time that we've been with them, partly because of how God has used you and, and us to influence others, um, the partnership has grown from 200 children in one center seven years ago to now about 13,000 children in 13 centers and 14 new churches and all this stuff. Thank you for what you're doing. So... They're trying to thank us, and we're saying, no, thank you. And they're like, no, thank you, no, thank you. And I said, well, I'll just go back and thank the people, and why don't we all together just agree to thank God that he's done such an amazing thing. So I appreciate that you're the kind of people that get it, that when you write a check to a church like Mountain, it's going to go to something like that, and you want to change the world. I love, love, love that piece. I'm also jazzed about Life on Mission, which begins next weekend on the weekends. Uh, but the, the group studies and all of that begins Right after we're done here, we're going to study and read and learn to grow together in our groups. If you've never been in a group before, you're not in one right now, perfect. This is a great moment for you to hang out with some friends, talk about what's God wanting you to do with your life. What, what more important thing is there for you to think about than to get together with some friends and say, what's God wanting my life to look like and how can I be on mission for him? And then we'll come together on the weekend. We'll kick off the, with the weekends next weekend. Uh, so don't miss out on that. I'm really jazzed and, and hope you are too. Uh, so today we're finishing up this series called Stretch. So, I mean, it wouldn't be appropriate to talk about stretching without doing a little stretching. Some of you look like you could use it, frankly. So go ahead and let's all stretch. Put your hands out in front of you. You can assume the massage position and go ahead and you know, mess with the person in front of you if you want to. Okay, stretch, good. Okay, now let's do the, uh, let's do the Frankenstein. Okay, good. Okay, do the zombie. Okay, good. Elton John, do the Elton John. Good. Ray Charles, okay. All right, good. Now do this, everybody do this. Look at me. Uh, palms out, thumbs down. Okay, like this, everybody got it? Now Take your right hand, cross it over your left, clasp hands with your thumbs down, so it should look like this, okay? 
Now, some of you lost me because you're facing me and you'd have to do the opposite. Remember, it's your right hand is the one you're taking, putting it across, and then thumbs down like this. Okay, everyone, now look up here. Once you got it, look up here. Ready? And then you just <laughs> turn it around like that. Now, you try. <laughs> Go ahead. How's it going? <laughs> you're like, hey, wait a second. This was rigged. I don't know, something fishy about that guy. One of my many talents. I'm very flexible. I know how to stretch. Once in a while, once in a while, there's a stretch in life that you're confronted with and you feel like, whoa, that's impossible. There's got to be some gag or gimmick here. I, I can't do that. Sometimes there are stretches that just feel challenging, but we say, oh, it's impossible. And there's a difference, isn't there? Uh, God wants us to stretch. This whole series is called Stretch, and it's about things that aren't impossible, but things that may feel like a stretch. And if I told you how to do the silly little trick I just did, you could do it too. And God's Word gives us so many instructions for stretches that we're to make all the time because this idea of stretch is really about growth, isn't it? It's about two things. It's about what God wants for you and also what you yourself, what each of us wants. We want to stretch. We want to grow. God wants to see you grow and flourish. Then you become more who he made you to be. And each of us wants to grow too. We want it. Even if we're afraid, even if we're timid or think it's impossible, we can. And we want to. Because there's a gap between where we are right now in lots of ways in our life and where we could be and want to be and should be and where God says we can be. And that gap can only be closed through some kind of stretch. So stretch is a friend. It feels like, oh, it's painful but, or impossible, but it's good. And that's where growth happens. And each of us knows that from our own experience. We've experienced it in a lot of different ways. Now, God wants us to grow. He wants us to stretch. He wants us to stretch, particularly in our life, in our faith, in our trust in Him, in, our, in the blessing we experience, in the joy, in, the, in, the, in just a real relationship with Him. He wants us to grow and stretch. And He wants to use... One of the ways He does it, as we've been talking in this series, is He'll use your money to do it. He'll use anything He can to help you stretch, but He will use your money. Because He knows what Jesus said is true, that where your treasure is, there will your, finish it with me, heart be also. Treasure and money always go together. Wherever your money is, I'll tell you where your heart is. And He knows that. So Jesus doesn't need your money. He's not interested in your dough, but He does want your heart. And so this matter of stretching as it relates to finances is really relevant. We think so much about money. We talk about it. We work for it. We fret about it. We worry about it. We argue about it. We divorce over it. We, we stay for it. We strive for it. We, we try to accumulate it. So it's a big part of our lives. Someone needs to say something. Well, the God's Word has said so much about money. And so that's why we're just saying, how is it in encouraging us to stretch? And whenever we start talking about it publicly, though, especially in the church, a lot of us just get uncomfortable. We've tried to acknowledge that. You know, I know some of you are uncomfortable about it. I know some of you are like, oh, here we go. Or, you know, it's just like, you know, it's like the one, uh, the one uh, mother was hysterical because her little boy swallowed a quarter. And she was like, oh, no. She turned to her husband just screaming at him to call 911, you know. And he picked up the phone. He starts dialing the pastor. He's like, what are you doing? We need medical help. He swallowed a quarter. He's like, oh, no, no, my pastor, he can get money out of anybody. You know, so I said, See, it's kind of, that's kind of how we, it's kind of how we come to think about it. You know, like, well, that's the main thing God's after and what God, the church wants is my money and all this stuff. Um, but what it's really about, I think you all know this by now, is that this community is just devoted to say, we want to follow God's plan for our lives. And for our life together in every way, including, it's going to include our finances. When we get baptized, we're going to go all the way under and take our wallets with us and come up and look at it differently. But you're going to have to trust God 
We sang about trust today. And you're going to have to trust God and decide whether you believe Him, whether you believe He knows what He's talking about, whether you think He's smart when it comes to saying what really is true and works in life. You're going to have to decide that. Because we all know that what we really believe is not what we say we believe, but what we do. We always demonstrate our true beliefs. And so for a lot of us, the stretch might just be in that area, what we really believe and think about things. Isaiah 55 says, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. It's a different way of thinking. And some of us are going to have to be stretched in that way to think differently about some of the things that we've told ourselves or been taught about the way we think about money. But Billy Graham, I like what he said. He says, if a person gets their attitude straight about money, it'll help them straighten out almost every other area of their life. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And that's why I think God cares about it I know you might have some defenses up. I know some people get offended about it. I just want to say as bluntly but compassionately as I can, if, if you're that person, the walls are up, not there from God. It's coming from another spiritual source. And maybe the most offended one is the one who most needs to hear some of what God wants to say. Because your attitude toward God and your attitude toward money are very much entwined. They're together. One person wrote me an email and said this, I know this from my own experience now. If you want to get close to Jesus, tithe. If you want to know God's blessing, give. If you want to grow in your faith, be generous. So friends, Paul and Gretchen wrote a letter, and I want to share it with you. Um, It goes like this. Let me just take a minute and read it to you. We're recovering spenders. Anybody relate to that? We both learned in college that plastic was our friend. If we wanted it now, we just swiped that little plastic card, and presto, it was ours. This little habit got even worse when Paul left the country to attend a graduate school in the Commonwealth of Dominica. When he was homesick, he would take every opportunity to fly home, even if it meant racking up thousands of dollars worth of debt on credit cards. Additionally, grad school had to be paid for somehow, and loans seemed the best way to do it. So after finishing grad school and starting the real world of employment, that is the world of employment and repayment, Paul became a budget hawk. When we got married, he started a strict budget, and he made mi- we, so we made minimum payments, and then we spent the rest of the paycheck. We didn't really give a second thought to tithing, nor did we think anything past a couple of months out. Then we found out that we were going to be welcoming a new life into the world. The reality of having another body around the house, another mouth to feed, another body to clothe was overwhelming and hit us like a ton of bricks. We had no idea how to pay for all the coming expenses. So Paul, being the number cruncher, went to work making a budget spreadsheet, a very detailed list of credits and debits on our household, including the numbers turning red whenever the debits ran over the credits. Every month seemed to flirt with the red. That was about the time that Mountain did this thing called Cannonball. It was a challenge to go all in and make waves with our whole lives, including our finances. We heard a great sermon. Huh? Really? We heard a great sermon. Um, um, We heard a great sermon on giving and simply decided that was for someone else to do. We were ready to go all in in lots of areas of our lives, devotions, prayer, service, but money, that was an area that was off limits. We thought we knew better than God. Now at that time we continued to work separately and we had each of us about a half hour drive home to stew about things from the day. And several weeks after that message on giving, we both were driving home and had this nagging feeling hit us. We had to tithe. 
When we both got in, we nearly at the same time said that we had something very important to talk about, and that something was that we needed to tithe and we needed to start now. Paul fired up the computer and opened the budget spreadsheet, and he put in the tithe for one week, and the remainder of the year suddenly went into red. And we panicked. We thought, oh man, how could God want us to go into the red? Maybe what he meant was we were supposed to serve more or something like that. We discussed how we might tithe without putting any money in, but then we, Paul's reminded of that passage of Scripture in Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, which says, you're under a curse because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. At that point, we knew we were robbing God and we deeply wanted to tithe. Paul pulled out the checkbook and he wrote the check. And then we prayed and asked God to somehow make it work. Our faith was small at that moment, but it was about to be stretched. We decided to go in and make waves, but we thought the waves were going to be our bills spilling over our heads that we wouldn't be able to pay. But we had made the decision to give to the Lord what was the Lord's, and somehow at the end of that first month, we'd met all of our bills and we had a few dollars left over. As we continued on this faith journey with the spreadsheet, every month it appeared to be red, but the Lord would provide, our ends were met, and we had money left over. Then came a time of testing. We were a two-car family, but suddenly we had one because Gretchen's car died on the way home from work, and so we had to go shopping, and we looked for a shiny new car payment <laughs> that we had to make every month. We got one. We added that to the spreadsheet, and then it went into the red than ever before. We sat at the computer that night, and we realized that our car payment was the exact amount of our monthly tithe. Hmm. Immediately the thought popped in our minds, well, we just need to stop tithing and we'll make our ends meet. But rather than jumping on that, we prayed and thought about it. We even attempted to return the car, but they wouldn't let us, so we prayed some more. And then we came back to Malachi, which says, test me. We felt like, okay, God. And they continued to tithe. And the Lord continued to make ends meet. And in fact, overlapped so much so that when we had the opportunity to give extra, we were able to do that. And we did it joyfully. Then came the next test. Paul was a federal employee and the army furloughed him and we weren't sure where the money was going to come from now. But rather than panicking this time, we trusted because we'd seen how the Lord worked before and we were confident that even if things got tight in the house, God would be faithful. And he was. About that time, we were given the opportunity to help uh, with our finances by going to a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class and it dramatically changed our attitude and perspective with regard to our money. It became clear to us that all the money we earn and anything that comes to us is simply a gift from God. We need to offer it to God with our hands raised rather than clenched fists. It confronted our spending habit. We formulated a real budget. We started to tell our money where to go rather than watch it leave the bank. And instead of just pursuing the American dream, we were content to work toward it long term rather than swiping cards to get it now. And the journey's been purposeful for us and helpful in the way we spend our money, we tithe now, we, we pay off debt. I can tell you the day we're going to be out of debt, our outlook has changed and it is a joy to give. Call us crazy, but we look forward to pay raises now for the main reason is so that we can give more generously. We've come to realize that our story is truly an epic story only God could have written. And we look forward to stretching even more as we trust Him with the pages of our future.
Paul, and Gretchen. I'll tell you what, that's an amazing story. What's not amazing about it is that it's so typical. It's amazing, yes, but I've got dozens and dozens of those letters. I can't really explain it to y'all. I can just tell you that God is faithful and it works that way. And I've heard that story over and over and over again. So I hope you have a story, something like that, where your vision and image and trust in God has grown and God can use money to help that happen. So this matter of the tithe is an important deal. So let's talk about the tithe for a little bit. It's simply a word that means one-tenth. It's from an old Greek word, dekate or dekate. It just means one-tenth. Um, you, you recognize the word deca in there, right? We get the word decathlon is a ten-event uh, athletic thing, or decade is ten years, right? So a tithe, decatos, is where someone worships God by giving a tenth of all their possession. That's all it is. Now the idea of tithing starts a long time before the Bible, Okay, it goes back, uh, the, the, the Persian king Cyrus, we have records of him making his soldiers give a tenth of all of their spoils to Zeus. Or long before Israel came along, you have tithing among the Babylonians and the Persians, the Greeks, eventually the Romans. So it's no surprise then that we find this idea popping up very, very early in the Bible. Uh, and then it kind of evolves through time as God's people adapt it for worship of God. So you go to the very first book of the Bible. What's the first book of the Bible? Genesis, so it's before Exodus, before Moses, before the law, we find this very interesting example. God gave Abram this victory in battle and his instinctual kind of voluntary response is to do something to express to God. So he gives to the priest this offering and scripture says in in, in Genesis chapter 14 verse 20, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. No one commanded it. It's just this kind of human instinct that just rises up in a person when you're really grateful to God for his care, for his provision, for his protection, for his guidance. You want to worship it and knowledge. It's like it's in the human DNA kind of. It's a natural response and it sort of expresses out and from time immemorial, like built into the, the, the human being is this instinct to reflect and this tithe became this way to express that. I want to do this by offering a tenth. A similar thing you see over in Genesis 28, again, before the law, before Moses and all that stuff, you see Jacob with this powerful encounter with the Lord. He's had this amazing experience, one of those times when you're really close to God and you know God shows up in your life. It's that stairway to heaven scene with Jacob's ladder, and he's so impressed and so grateful and so overwhelmed, and he wants God to keep blessing him in his life, and he kind of drives a stake in the ground, and he says at that moment, chapter 28, verse 22, I'm setting up this stone as a marker of God's house. I want to remember this moment, and also of all that you give me, God, I'm going to give you a tenth. And again, this isn't a comm- nobody commands this. It's a spontaneous expression of gratitude to God when he comes through for you and blesses you and been good. Now, all those kind of expressions only kind of make sense if you kind of have an assumption lying behind them, and, and that would be that God owns it all. If you don't believe that God owns it all, then all this is going to feel a little invasive and a little frustrating and a little bit like a chore or something that you just reject and, and have a wall up about. But that God owns it all. Can we say that together? God owns it all. That changes a lot, doesn't it, if we really believe that. Now, you, he, he uh, hasn't signed over the, the, the papers t- on anything to you or me. He lets you play with it and use it, still keep it in your garage or whatever, but it's his. 
That's why I so see you come to verses like uh, Psalm 24, verse 1, which says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You know, you do a Hebrew study on that word everything, you know what it actually means? Want to guess? Everything. Yeah, it means everything. It means, it means that everything is the Lord's. He hasn't transferred ownership, and we're managers. We're stewards of it. Psalm 50 says, you drive by the road and you see cows up on the hill. Well, every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. Haggai, chapter 2, the silver and the gold is mine. Really? Our money too? Yeah. It's all his. And 1 Corinthians 4 in the New Testament says, well, what do you even have that God hasn't given you? Show me one thing you have that, that you can't say God gave that to me. You say, well, I worked hard for my money. I, I worked hard. This is, this is mine, my mind. And Deuteronomy says, yeah, but remember the Lord your God because he's the one who even gives you the ability to produce wealth. He gave you a brain and good back or strong hands or whatever. You know, so, so no wonder then that this, this idea of this instinctive urge kind of emerged into a regular practice because it's all God's and so it became eventually a stipulation that we would remember that and something we'd always do as the tithe. But it starts with that recognition that it all belongs to God. It reminds me of a story of this lady. She's traveling. She's in an airport. She had a little layover and a little bit of time to kill before she got on the next plane. So she buys a little bag of uh, Oreo cookies and she's trying to find a place to sit and rooting around getting her stuff organized. And anyway, so she sits down between her and this next guy. The Oreo cookies are on the table and, be, and she can't hardly believe it this guy next to her reaches down and takes an Oreo cookie right out of the package and starts eating it and just, you know. She's like, she reaches down just to kind of establish, you know, territory. She kind of takes the cookie, looks at him. She, he just smiles and nods at her while he's munching away. She's kind of ticked. And then he reaches down and he takes another one. He's just eating it. She's like, she takes another one, kind of eat it with a little attitude. And he does it again. And he goes back and forth like that until there's only one cookie left in the bag. She can't hardly believe it. He reaches down. He takes the last cookie, breaks it in half, gives half to her. <laughs> she gathers up her stuff. She's so mad. She goes and gets on that plane, plops down, still fuming, you know, getting her stuff organized. And that's when she looks inside her own bag and realizes that there are her package of Oreo cookies <laughs> right in her bag where she put them. She'd been eating his cookies the whole time. Didn't even know it. Isn't that how we are? Guys, y'all, God owns all the Oreos, okay? It's all his cookies. But we're like, hey, oh, get so offended and so upset about, you know, if he, if he try to reach and get one of mine. It's all God's cookies. That's what Jesus says. God owns all the Oreos. It's in Hezekiah somewhere. God owns all the Oreos. Share your cookies and you'll be blessed. Jesus said it. So you see, you see that, <laughs> yeah, you could go all kind of places with that. Uh, <laughs> toss your cookies to the, no, uh, but don't go there. And that's Oreos, not uh, Orioles, unfortunately. I'm just saying. Yeah, lighten up. It's not over yet. Come on. So you can see why this idea, once you start really believing that, you know what, all the Oreos are God, God owns everything, it's all His, it makes it easy then. That's why we could talk a few weeks ago about what Scripture teaches about first fruits. This idea that what God is pleased by and honored by, what He desires and He's waiting to see is if we'll honor Him with our first fruits, which is something off the top. Exodus 23, for example, bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. In other words, 
Give to God off the top. Make him a priority. Make that first. Everyone gets a bottle of water, right? Different sizes and shapes of different water. But the question is, when you open the bottle of provision that's been given to you, I don't care how old or young you are, how much you got, it doesn't matter. The question is, who gets the first sip? You're going to pass it around, let everyone take a hit on it, and give God some backwash with some floaties in it, say, here you go, or are you going to give them the first sip? God says, I want to see that. I want to know. And so first fruits is this idea that before you pay all your bills, before you take care of your family, go on vacation, get, you know, put a thatched roof on your, 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 your mansion, or buy a new iPhone, before that, you, you say, God, you first. And apparently, according to Scripture, many examples I could give you, it matters to God. He's watching to see, am I worth something to you, and will you show it by what's worth something to you? Like your money. And so eventually it makes perfect sense that this idea of first fruits and all this idea that God owns it and this tenth instinctive gratitude gift would become a command for God's people. And it's all through the Scriptures. Leviticus 27. A tithe of the produce from the land, where the grain of the fields, fruit of the trees, however it comes to you, find it on the sidewalk, win in the lottery, whatever, this tenth belongs to the Lord and should be set apart to Him as holy. Every tenth animal that passes under a shepherd's rod should be consecrated to the Lord. In other words, it's an act of worship. Now, there's a practical side to it as well because that tithe, when it was given, was the way that they took care of the temple and that they paid for ministries to the destitute and the passers-by and the widows and the orphans. Yes, there's a practical side to it, but it begins with this worship of God, this idea of gratitude. And it carries right over into the New Testament. And yet when you get to the New Testament, you hear less emphasis on the tithe. It was assumed as a baseline, a normative practice that all God's people would do. But it isn't emphasized as much as if to say, in light of what God has now done through Christ, the giving of his own son and the son giving his own life, it seems like a sort of tithe is not enough. And instead, the talk in the New Testament under the time of Jesus is about generosity and sacrifice and taking care of the poor and sharing with one another. Tithing is something that's kind of just assumed as a baseline, a norm. In fact, in light of all that God's done, it seems like for most, it doesn't seem like it's even enough. So you find passages like 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says every person should give what they've decided in their heart to give. So you decide. I'm not making a rule. You decide. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. Oh, I got to. Got to pay my dues. But because God loves a cheerful giver. You can't fake the cheerfulness, you know, but once you realize it's God Oreos and you're, gra- you're grateful for what he's done in Christ, this is, this is going to come. And friends, that's why we beat the drum every week around here. When we receive and people give gifts, they, I know a lot of us give online, and I hope more and more of us do. It makes it regular and all that. But we're going to have worship time where we, we give gifts, and that's why we say every time, if you don't give under obligation because of this scripture, because of the way God wants it. Don't give if you don't want to give. You're all grumpy and gripey and you don't want to do it. Don't do it. No one's twisting your arm. You want to spectate? You want to watch and miss your story? That's up to you. No one's, you know, we're not up here milking the cow, you know. It's like, come on, Bessie, give. The baby's got to live. No, it, it, that's not the kind of giving that, that God's after. Cheerful givers. So it's very, very personal, okay? It's not a tax. It's not the dues. It's not your God fine for the week. It's personal, but it's also proportional, okay? So 1 Corinthians 16, for example, New Testament now. This is the Christians that say, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Save it up then so that when I come... We can give it, and we don't have to kind of have this emergency thing going on. We just, but save it up in, in, 
in proportion to your income. So someone gives a thousand bucks, thinks they're all that, that's great. Well, God's maybe happy. But if you have a million, that ain't much at all. Someone else gives one dollar. You're like, well, that ain't nothing. Well, if they only have ten, that's a, that's, a, that's a significant gift. So proportional giving, not equal giving, but equal obedience, equal sacrifice. And that marks the church. And so this tithe becomes this starting place more than a finish line. But it is a good target and it's a way that God can say, all right, you say you love me? Well, put your money where your mouth is. And when we do, well, then he's blessed. And his mission is blessed in a practical way. And you are blessed because you've stretched and grown. And that cycle is a rinse and repeat, and it keeps going. And that's God's will, and that's God's desire. So you can see why this tithe is such a big deal whenever God's people would stray away from him their hands would go closed and there's this connection between their giving and their tithing and their heart with God I don't know which causes which maybe when we stray away from God is when we tighten up our pocketbook maybe when we stop giving that's what pulls us away from God I don't know which but it was a big deal so let's spend just a couple minutes looking at the passage that has changed the life of a whole bunch of people on this subject probably one of the classic passages in all of the Bible about it, that really forces us to decide if we trust God or not. So let's look at it for a moment. Malachi in the Old Testament, some people refer to him as the Italian prophet Malachi. It's Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. You ever hear God say that to you? Come back, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And you ask, well, how are we to return? God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you're robbing me. And you ask, how are we robbing you, God? And God says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields. It will not drop fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Here's God saying, test me. Only place we know of that he says that to us. Try me. Test me. Try me. Do this. Test it out. I want to show you something. It's not God saying, hey, I need 50 bucks. Anybody got some money? It's not what it's about. This is not about what God wants from you. This is about what God wants for you. He wants you to return to Him. And He wants to be able to open the floodgates in your life. When you're in alignment with God, when you have obedience with God, when you have a sense of trust in God and give God room to actually do something where you might actually need Him, then He can open the floodgates and you'll experience a blessing in your life that will be an amazing experience. It's like a little, like if you, let's say you've got a little four-year-old kid. He wakes up from a nap. He's all cranky, mad, 
didn't want to do anything. And he's supposed to go to a birthday party, his best friend. They're all over at Chuck E. Cheese. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be an amazing experience. But he didn't want to go now. He's tired and cranky. I don't want to go. And you're like, oh, you can't. You don't want to let him miss that. You know he's just talking because he's cranky and mad. And so you're like, okay, well, everyone's going to be there. You try to tell him what it's going to be like. Oh, I don't want to go. You try to encourage him a little. You might even appeal to your relationship. Will you do it for daddy? Eventually, you might just say, get in the car. Make it a command. Because you know that, that it's going to be beautiful. And that's kind of how God is with us. And this is what this passage is saying. Because some of us are determined not to trust God in this area of our lives. We'd rather just sit there. God doesn't want us to miss out on the floodgate of blessing. He knows how awesome it's going to be. He knows how awesome we're going to feel about it when we get there. So he's like, please, will you try it? Don't forget. He tries to describe it. We're like, nope, 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 nope. He's like, well, would you do it for daddy? Nope, nope, nope. You make it a command? Nope, nope, nope. And so here he does something any loving parent might do. He says, okay, and then I dare you. Test me on that. I'm going to prove something to you. Okay? Try me. Just try me. I'll make a deal with you. All right? You, you try this just one time, and if you don't receive some kind of spiritual blessing foreign back in your life, okay, fine. Then I'm not God. You go your own way. But before you blow me off, will you just try it? Before you act like you know? Test me in this, God says. Put him to the test. You guys remember that, that movie, uh, Christmas Story? That's one of our favorites. We kind of watch it whenever we can every Christmas, you know. But, uh, and there's a scene in there where... Flick is out on the playground with all the kids and they're all gathered there in the middle of the winter. It's cold and there's a metal pole there and somebody says, you know, if you stick your tongue on that pole, it'll stick. He says, will not. Oh, will too. Will not. Will too. Will too. Do it. You do it. I'm not going to do it. You're going to go back and forth like that. And finally they say, I dare you. He says, buzz off. And then they go, I triple dog dare you. Remember that? And he's like, oh, went right to the triple dog dare. He's like, Fine. He goes and sticks his tongue on the pole. Of course, it sticks. The bell rings. And they're like, bye, Flick. He's like, wait, well, well, well. Usually when someone dares you to do something, it's a bad idea to do it. I speak from experience. If someone triple dog dares you to do something, you're usually going to end up regretting it. Unless that person is God. When God says I triple dog dare you, the only regret you have is if you don't take him up on it. That's the only regret you have. So, when God says, trust me, try me, it's because he wants to open the floodgates. Friends, this tithing thing is not an intrusion into your finances. It's an invitation into God's blessings. It's not something being taken away from you. It's opening a channel of blessing. God wants to throw open the floodgates of heaven. He says, yet you're robbing me. So you're, you know, that may be confusing to you, but it's, it's basically when you say, God, I, I'm, I'm thankful for everything you've given me, but frankly, living off nine-tenths of it is not enough. I want more than that. I'm not willing to return a tenth to you. I want the whole bag of Oreos. Keep your hands out. And God says, it just feels like robbery to me. Return to me. Return to me. Trust me. Love me. I want to pour out my blood. You ever seen, you ever seen the um, uh, Hoover Dam? Here's a picture of the Hoover Dam. Massive structure, you know, like 700 feet high and 1,500 feet across. I read that, that they used 5 million barrels of concrete to make that sucker. That's like enough concrete to make a two-lane road between Seattle and Miami. That's a lot of concrete. It's all there holding back that huge body of water, all that pressure, those stanchions, those spillway gates weigh 5 million pounds each. Huge. So you can imagine when they lift those, 
whoosh, what happens downstream. And can you imagine being carried along by that? And that beautiful, God is saying, picture that. That's what I would love to do in your life and take you to a different place, bless you like that, but you'll never experience it as long as you're afraid. Don't trust me or say you know better. Will you just try it? I triple dog dare you. I want to give us an opportunity right now uh, to live out this principle of trust in God. As we all know that our real beliefs are not what we say, it's what we do. So we don't want to just talk about the scriptures around here. We want to give ourselves an opportunity to do it. So I'm going to encourage you right now. Uh, and then let me just say one more thing. If you're a guest here and you're undecided where you are spiritually, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just like skeptical or an observer, we're glad you're here, welcome. This is really maybe not the moment for you to stress or worry. You can spectate, participate. We're not going to tell you you can't participate, but this is for people who are serious about, I'm seeking God, I'm following Jesus, I, I call this place my church home. I want to ask everyone right where you are to grab that card right in front of you in the seat pocket. It says, stretch decision card. It can be a private deal between you and God. But I, I hope you'll take this next couple minutes seriously to give you a chance to have a story to tell. Because God is triple dog daring you right now. And on that card, stretch decision card, there's a series of steps, five things to do. Pray, decide. And then number three is try the tithe. That one I want to focus on for some of you because some of you haven't ever tried it. Or you're afraid. Not sure it'll work for you. Not sure you can. I want to encourage you. 12-week tithing challenge for some of you. Between now and the end of the year, in other words. Give it a shot. Sit back and see what God does. I'd be lying to you if I told you it never entered my mind, the practical side of this. Like if I had someone do the math for me. If everyone in this church tithed, Wow, scary what we could do. I think of all the ministries that we could do that we don't do right now because we're waiting on the opportunity and the resources to do it. Think of the lives we could change. We're waiting. And I'd be lying if I, never, if I told you that. It never entered my mind because I did the math and it's like, wow, like $22 million unleashed, almost triple what we're doing now. Someone said, Will I go to hell if I don't tithe? It's like, probably not. But someone else might. You know? So I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I told you there wasn't a practical side of this. And it kind of makes my head hurt a little. But what my heart aches most for is what I think God's heart aches for the most. And that is for the change, not just that we can do in the community, but the change in you. Because I long to be a pastor of a flock where people are alive and growing in Christ. I want you to have your own story to tell where you'd actually put yourself in a place where God had to show up and do something in your life instead of just having someone else's story to look at. This is a great way to do it. This church is alive and thriving and growing, not because of the keyboardist and the lights, you know. It's grown because God's alive at work in people's lives and those stories are contagious and I don't care how old you are, what you got, what you don't got, what your background is. This is an opportunity. The Lord God Almighty is saying, test me in this. I want to show you something. I got some floodgates I'd like to blow your way. So... I hope you'll just take that card and you'll be able to say, I trust God. I'm not just going to trust him for my prayers. I'm not just going to trust him for my family. I'm not just going to trust him for my salvation. I'm going to trust him with my money and see what kind of stretch happens. And it begins by saying, pray. So I hope you're praying even now in your spirit and pray through the song we're going to do in a moment. 
And then decide. As you seek God through prayer, decide. It's go time. How is he leading you to stretch? Don't worry about the person next to you. And then try the tithe. If you're not tithing, try it for 12 weeks. Whatever comes your way, count it out. A tithe is 10%. Do something epic. Now, your finances may be so messed up that you may not feel like you can do that. You know, when someone is addicted to porn or or alcohol or something and they want to make a change, there's a couple of different strategies you can take. Many people have been helped by just going cold turkey and bam, they just stop and God just makes that happen and they have an amazing story to tell and it's happened to a lot of us in this church. And there's other people that they say, you know, if I just think about that, I'll fail. I don't know if I'll succeed, but they plan a series of steps. You know, they take one little step that sort of gets them a little bit down the road and then another step and another step and before long they're at the goal, but they end up at the same place. And so I feel like the same can be true of this tithing thing. For a lot of people... They feel like, man, that 10%, you just got to trust God and go for it now. And a lot of us could. You might have to make some changes, but you could go to 10 right now. And you'd have a story to tell. Because others of us may feel like, man, I single parents or someone, your finances are so messed up. If you did that, you'd have to default on a loan or something. I don't think that's what God's after at all. There'll be a stretch, but it's not going to be irresponsible. So maybe your, your goal will be 4% or 6 And then as God provides, you go to 7 if, if you just if, if God is God, he's going to lead you to that place. So however it is, there's your challenge. And then number four, watch. Sit back and watch. I don't think you'll ever regret your decision. Friends, if you do this, you take this tithing thing, and you're nervous about, ah, oh, I think they're just trying to get my money, give it to some other church. Just But test God. Or if you give it to Mountain, and you feel at the end of that 12 weeks, you know what? I went into this wholeheartedly. I kept a record of my giving. But I don't feel like God has blessed me in any way. I feel like there's been no experience in my life. I've experienced none of his spiritual blessing. He hasn't opened any floodgates toward me at all. If you feel that way, come and tell us. We'll give you every dime back. We'll write you a check. I believe God. I think you will too. And then stretch, number five. So I want to encourage you right now to flip that card over and there's a place for where it says go time, my decision. Don't check a box if, you know, you're just doing it to check a box and press the person next to you hoping they notice. Check a box if you're ready to drive a stake in the ground and say, Lord, oh, here we go, I trust you. And I hope you can check one of these. I believe everyone could. Here's what it says. Recognizing God's love for me and authority over me, I choose to honor Christ and put the Lord first in every area of my life, including my finances. I want to avoid the dangers of debt. I want to be more generous with others. I want to follow the biblical giving model of tithing. Therefore, and then you can check one. I want to to begin the tithe for 12 weeks. I want to stretch by giving a different percentage or you want to continue the tithe or give over the tithe. Whatever it is, you check it. And if it feels like a stretch to you, perfect. Let's pray. Lord God, help us now as we meet you in these holy moments. I pray that you'll work around our defenses and our fears. Grant us your presence through your indescribable gift, Jesus. I thank you for reminders of people in the Bible who gave themselves first before they gave money. Help us to do that, Lord, to trust you. Help us to trust you, Lord, with our families. Help us to trust you with our future with our nasty habits, with our unforgiven sins. 
Help us to trust you with our careers and our decisions and our money. Help us to trust you for our salvation, for our eternity. We trust you, Lord, and we give it all to yours. It's all yours, Lord, all of it. You can have it. We trust you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.